They told me I could only be a custodian. They told me I could only be a police officer. They told me I could only be a lawyer. Doctor. Performer. Financier. Sex worker. Engineer. Warrior. Programmer. Pilot. Doctor. Performer. Financier. Sex worker. Doctor. Engineer. They told me I could only be a hell diver. We're done being told who we can be. Jeremy, I want to start off this conversation with just like kind of a moment of reflection. I was thinking about kind of our prior episodes, like things we've done, uh, talking about the first series specifically, and in some ways how much fun those conversations were, but also not to be, you know, kind of be rude to ourselves, but how simple they were at times too. Like there's occasions where you and I would just show up, we'd have just like a couple things on an outline we wanted to touch on and just go, just riff, because we were just talking about these characters we loved and what that first series really meant. And what that first series really kind of embodies and, and means is not to be hyper-reductive, but this is true to some, to some extent, is see bad guy, kill bad guy, overthrow injustice, game over. Like that's, that's the first series. And then when you kind of get to these conversations we're gonna have today about Darrow and now and Iron Gold, it's like, there's so much more nuance. There's so much more depth. There's just so much more density, gray area, complexity, ideologies that battle. It's not just war of like, you know, uh, razors and such. It's war of like minds, war of words that are happening in this book. And Darrow is like at the center of all that. And so this, these conversations are by that nature, they're not maybe as fun or as like enjoyable in some ex- to some extent because they deal with such like harsher and more adult themes in a way. Yeah, I think I agree with a lot of your reflections as well. I know for me, literary-wise, that's something I've really been enjoying getting into is those areas of nuance or what we're going to call, of course, just gray area, Yeah, uh, I think over and over in this episode. And I think one of the things that allows that, unlike the first series, and this is like what you were talking about because... It's the good versus evil, right? Mm-hmm. It's the rebels versus the empire. It's very yeah. simple, right? Yeah. And I think that has accessibility to it. I think that's what makes Star Wars such a large, diverse, like especially age-wise yeah. kind of demographic is because like you said, it becomes more adult themed when you have areas of that nuance, when you have to deal with good characters having evil sides. Yes. And with these POVs, I think it gives that line because- Darrow was the one who instructed you of all his good deeds, sure. right? So he's never going to name himself as evil or anything like that. And you kind of become team Darrow. You out of necessity and out of just like what's there, right? Out of so, necessity, yeah. exactly. And and I think like one thing I've I've gone to look at is like in sports franchises, you have the Red Sox versus the Yankees. Yeah. And there's really no real actual reason they hate each other. <laughs> um, 
but they do with a passion. Yeah. It's just because one side, regardless of what the other side does, thinks it's wrong, thinks it's bad. Yeah. Right. And yeah. hates on it. Yeah. And it's, it's very much the same. So even when Darrow destroys the Doxaganamede, it's like, oh, he had to do it. It was the only way. Uh, the casualties are, are just excusable, right? And while plot-wise that might be true, mm-hmm. it's okay to recognize the evil. And I think that's what the multiple POVs of this book allow you to do. Yeah. Is get these points of view that are like hate for Darrow. These people that have been hurt and damaged by decisions and by just circumstances that were put into motion Mm -hmm. by Darrow and the New Republic. And so it opens up this whole new landscape of that exact nuance you're talking about. When you said New Republic, I also thought Star Wars just for a second. (laughs) (laughs) No, not that one. Not that New Republic. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I believe so too. I mean, it's interesting because I think this is what a lot of people have a lot of resistance towards this book for that that very reason. Because... Our boy, our guy Darrow, is villainized in a lot of ways. And a lot of that is earned. I mean, we see that and we, we'll talk about that as we get into it. And uh, there we'll talk about this, the kind of the way we see that as we get into it as well. But I've heard Pierce Brown say this. Pierce Brown has this thought out there that he kind of has voiced that it said that he built Darrow in this, in this way that he's kind of a an antagonist to the other three POVs in this book, which is very unique because why would you, I mean, and almost like why in a way, like why would you take a character that you've built up and you've made really clearly very special to a lot of us readers? Like most, I would say most people I encounter that love the Red Rising series also love Darrow. Uh, It's easy. I've I've met a few that don't, but there is, most of us do. We love this character. And then you kind of take that character and then you just kind of flip it around and be like, I'm going to challenge you to think about (laughs) Yeah. This person that you've you've grown to love and kind of like and make you see him in a different light than maybe even you're comfortable with. It's very different. Yeah, and I mean this is the Darrow episode, and it yeah. makes me think of episode one, Darrow. Whoa! And interestingly, we started off disliking Darrow, and then suddenly we step into Darrow's POV today. You and I are talking about it, and it's kind of once again, Darrow is a somewhat dislikable character. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that, and we're going to really discuss exactly where we are. Maybe we're nowhere on it, right? Yeah. But I find it interesting that, like, kind of in both series, uh, a lot of the readership probably found Darrow to be kind of distasteful. Mm-hmm. And one of those reasons is exactly what you're saying, right? He's he's the antagonist to the other three POVs. Like, Pierce wrote him to be villainous, to embrace his darker urges but for a righteous cause. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes him such an interesting thing to talk about. And when you and I, we were actually at Starbucks just kind of talking about this. And instantly what popped into my head was A Few Good Men. Mm-hmm. You remember that, yeah. right? And there is this iconic scene in the courtroom. And everyone will know this instantly. Like everyone's like, oh yeah, I know. Okay. Yeah, yeah I get just it, say right? it. Yeah, just say it, yeah. And Tom Cruise gets Jack Nicholson to like basically mess up, right? Yeah. Because he's, he's trying to lie under oath and all this, or at least evade. And suddenly uh, Colonel Jessup, which is, which is Jack's character, just says like, do you want the truth? And, and he says, yes, I want, I want the truth. And then, and then uh, Jessup yells, you can't handle the truth. Yeah, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> but it's like, I feel like that's dropped everywhere. Like that you can't handle the truth. That's like, if you're a kind of 80s, 90s kid mm-hmm. like us, that was just on loop on TV on like basic cable or like TNT or TBS every weekend, that movie. And it's like, I remember hearing that you can't handle the truth. 
I didn't even know what movie it was from originally. Like I just oh, wow. didn't, I didn't know at all, but you just know that you can't handle the truth. like line. Uh, it's so iconic and just kind of almost fun to say to people when, <laughs> when they just to mess with people. But yeah, no, it's, it's one of probably the most iconic sort of film lines of that era. Yeah, for sure. So like everybody right now knows exactly what we're talking about. Sure. I hope so. But we're not talking about that, right? That's the key. <laughs> we're actually talking about Jessup's quote right after that, because that's what keyed me in. Mm -hmm. And it's so important. And like, because everyone just has the, you can't handle the truth stuck in their head right now. Yeah. Like we're going to get it out. So we've actually uh, <laughs> prepared a reading of this so we can go over it and then talk about it. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. And who's gonna do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. Now you have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know. That Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives, and my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties, you want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide, then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather that you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand the post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you're entitled to. I feel like this is exactly what Daryl would have wanted to say had he given himself the chance, but instead he kills Wolfgar. You know, like that's a villainous act like we were talking about. It's, it's more than a slip up. It's villainous. It's awful. It's murder. And not only Wolfgar dies in this moment, but other people fighting, the other Republic Wardens also die in this moment. So he doesn't get this opportunity because I think that would have been an amazing scene. And I hate playing the what if game with Red Rising because what we have is, really great, like spectacular. But if you just kind of want to think about that just for a quick moment, let's say Darrow just says, okay, wife, okay, sovereign, I submit, I'm going in and the Republic Wardens can take me now. He goes before the Senate and this is exactly what he says. He says something exactly like Colonel Jessup, but you have no idea what it's like to be out there. You're in, you're, you're like the audacity of that even it's kind of like annoying to me. Like you guys are sitting around in togas, <laughs> like you're just kind of like here and you're talking about what's going on, but it's so isolated in this room. Like the fear night, that guy's out there. Like I know that that character Atlas doesn't come up till dark age, but in this timeline, in this world, he exists and he's out there doing heinous things to Darrow's people. So of course he's got to give something, a line akin to this because how could he not? How could he not just be like, dudes, you're like, you're handcuffing me, but you have no idea. You don't even realize what you're doing here. I, I love the call to the togas because that's exactly it. I think 
humans have a tendency that's just part of their nature that kind of once they get something, there's this tendency to pull up the drawbridge behind you. Mm. And there certainly is with those who have been freed. I mean, this is one of my huge issues with Dancer in the second series. And, and yeah. I liked him so much before. Sure. And he's we all did. intolerable now because that's exactly <laughs> what he's trying to do. It's like Darrow is, has a single-minded focus on not stopping, right? Mm -hmm. He will bring about Eo's dream, not just for those who have already been freed, but Mercury, but Venus, mm -hmm. but everywhere. Keep going, keep, keep going. going. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, just just never stop until freedom and liberty is spread throughout everything and, and Eo's dream is realized. But you have this tendency to like not do that. And you're right, like Colonel Jessup, you know, is talking about people at parties, people in the togas, as you would say, um, those who are, are warm in bed with the blankets of freedom that he <laughs> secures for them. And you're right. This is exactly what Darrow would say. And it, it really brings up this interesting idea. We do look at Darrow as villainous, but as one of those costs of maintaining liberty, I, I think in the kind of grand sphere of just first world Western civilization, every single one of those countries, no exceptions, mm -hmm. has an MI6 or a CIA, some spy operation that is operating, saboteuring, right? Like assassination kind of stuff behind the scenes, covert. Nobody knows about it. It's behind the curtain. And I think that that's kind of what Colonel Jessup's saying is mm -hmm. leave me behind the curtain. This is my job is to stand on the wall, not be recognized and secure your freedom. And when you pull back the curtain, you're hurting the country. I think yeah. Darrow would say the same thing. Like, you just arrested me. My job is to be a warmonger, to yeah. continue to destroy, to continue to wreck things in my path and gain liberty for everybody. You build behind me, right? I'm just yeah. a wrecking ball. Huh. And like Good analogy. But when the curtain gets pulled back, I think we have a moral obligation as society to deal with that. Yes. So once it's like in your crosshairs, you can't ignore it or it's injustice. It, don't show what Dara's doing, right? Don't bring him before a senatorial hearing because obviously the answer is going to be no. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. and, and I think that's, that's to me, the similarities there. It's you've just tried to, in this scenario, of course, Darrow is arrested, right? You've just arrested Darrow, your covert guy that's moving forward with this war operation. And now society has to deal with this. The curtain's been drawn back. There are moral issues here and, and they're going to stop his progress. Yeah. So for me, I, I, maybe some people feel the same way, but I've read this book six times, some for just kicks and giggles and other times because I wanted to be prepared for the podcast. So I, I really went over the, the Darrow at all a lot. And I've actually played jump rope with this POV quite a bit. The first couple times I read this book, I found that Darrow was like completely right and I justified all his actions. And I think that was just residual from the thinking of the first three books. And I'm like, this guy, he gets it. He knows that there's a cost. He knows that keeping a conscious clean is just not on the table. That's just understandable. Like that's war. This is war. You, when are you allowed to keep a clean conscious in war? And I had that thinking as well. And then I kind of read the book a couple more times and I became really critical of Darrow and I was just like, man, this guy just sucks in this book. Like he kills Wolfgar, like a character that 
the more I read it, the more gravity I understand, uh, you know, how important that character was. But you just don't, you don't really pick up on it if you read it once or twice. You kind of like, when the more you read it, like, wow, this character is really essential to this world, even though I didn't get to experience that world because yeah. it's all off the page. But then you go forward in the story and he's he's going to deep grave. He's literally breaking out war criminals. <laughs> yeah. Multiple. He doesn't just, keep in mind, this is not just, uh, just Apollonius. There's other people that he's getting out at the same time. And then he's going across the entire galaxy and then killing an old man. Like it just, it, it's just so weird. Like the whole story of him is actually weird in this book for one. And that's the way I saw him the second time. Like for a couple of times I read this book after the first two, like the third and fourth time. I was like, man, he just sucks so bad. And now this third time I am seeing it that with that, what we've been talking about, the gray area and kind of what you were talking about with Jessup and stuff. It's just like peeling back the curtain and like actually having to look at it and going, what do I really see? And I'm I'm kind of throwing my hands up at this point. I'm like, I don't know what I really see. I don't like, it's like, he's such a mixed bag in this book. And I can see, I don't know. It's like, do the ends justify the means? Like, is this really right? Is this really what he should be? And I, it's a question I'm like still, even in this like middle of the sentence, I'm struggling with to figure out how I should feel about him in this book. But isn't that the point, right? I think it is the point. I, I think that, this is a challenge from Pierce that the readers have not been faced with. And this is kind of the crux of Iron Gold is you do exactly that by, like you said, it's by pattern, right? Mm -hmm. I did the same thing. The first time I read Iron Gold, I just read right through Darrow's POV and was like, yep, uh-huh. That's exactly <laughs> no what happened. No questions, right? No, yeah. not at all. And then on, on second or third, I forget, it was like suddenly – Oh no, Darrow's like the bad guy, mm -hmm. you know? And then you keep going and suddenly you key into these questions. You go questions. full circle, you go all the way around the loop, all the way around the track. Well, you do, but I think you just are able to at least ask the question and analyze the nuance and say, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, he's not right or wrong, maybe. Yeah. Let's at least explore the question that's being asked by Pierce right now and pull back the curtain. Yeah. When you do you have to come to a conclusion, or you don't necessarily have to, but you, you should probably come to a conclusion mm -hmm. with however your moral structure is. The answer to that question on individual level is fascinating. I think so too. I think that this book, and Darrow's POV specifically, is so much bigger than just, I'm reading a science fiction story. I think it's much bigger than that. Because if you are the kind of person that has read this book and says, Darrow is fully in the right, he does nothing wrong in this book, I align and agree with the reasoning for what he does and why he does it. That tells me about you. It tells me about how you think. That tells me about like justice to you looks one way. I mean, not just one way, but it looks this way. It looks that way to you. But if you're the kind of person I've, you know, I've met both that think like Daryl was a villain in this book, that does tell me also about something about your ideology and how you see not just this science fiction book, but how you see the world around you that you need to basically try to try your best to keep cleaner hands as you try to purchase liberty for other people uh, or try to overcome injustice. And, you know, maybe I'm waffling right now, <laughs> but maybe that says something about me too. Like that I, I am waffling. I can't, I can't really see, like I can, I can see both points of view so clearly, but I can't really decide on one or the other. I think that that tells you about me a little bit and my ideology and kind of like my struggle. I think, Anyone with good logic is going to explore the arguments on both sides to that point. So I think that's good and right. And I, you're very siloed ideologically if Darrow's just always the good guy no matter what he does, mm. or if he's just an evil demon no matter what. And so one of the things, 
like, let's explore one of the cons, right? Like when Darrow seemed like the villainous character to me, when I was exploring that, one of the things that came up was exactly sort of what we explored in The Dream of Eo. And during um, Ragnar's episode, you know, we went through a Kavik's quote. And in it, you know, he's talking about these characters of old, these heroes. He talks about Vishnu. He talks about the Nazarene, which is Jesus. And he talks about King Arthur, right? Mm -hmm. And these are very bright, gleaming light, like heroes. Good guys, like like super good guys, always like kind of clothed in white kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, Jesus like was able to live amongst Roman oppression and just be so good, (laughs) you know? And King Arthur stands up to these internalized pressures to the Saxons from the outside and to like these remnants of like Roman occupation Mm -hmm. while still being just completely good. Like, how do those two things marry each other? I think Mm -hmm. is a valid question. I do remember the quote, actually, um, I'm pulling up right here in front of me. This is the quote from, I I can't remember what chapter it's in, in in Morningstar, but it's this exploration of Kavik's instructing Daryl, like, Mustang's not your enemy. Like, when I was educating her, when she was in my house, I, these are the kind of stories, the kind of people that I taught her about, these, the people that you described. And I think that in the context of that story of Morningstar, it makes a ton of sense. It's so apt because it's a story about strong people standing against oppression and more than oppression is just like absolutely overwhelming. It's just, it's kind of coming you from every angle and he's imploring Darrow to do the same, to be that same kind of person. It's like, you got, you can do this, stand up and rise to that occasion, be that kind of light and amongst all this like oppression and evil. And then the thing about this is the interesting thing is like, for me, the quote kind of fades away. It kind of, it's because now you're living in a world of iron gold where that oppression, it exists, but it doesn't really exist in the circle that we're talking about with Darrow because the the problems that he's facing are actually amongst the people that he would consider friends and family. Dancer. Dancer is like one of his oldest homies. And that's like one of his biggest adversaries in this moment. So it's like, how do you kind of treat that, that Kavik's quote the same as you do here and now in this time of iron gold? Because he's not necessarily needing to stand up to oppression. He's needing to stand up to the divide amongst his own people and how that ideology has now split. So the quote or the idea of it, the quote actually even, it feels a little faded for me. It doesn't really feel like it applies as much to the iron gold uh, storyline. Yeah, I I think I like that analysis. I think it makes some sense to me. You're right. It's like, these are sort of different phases of this liberty. And it's like, once that liberty is like, quote unquote, purchased, as you put it, it's like, the continuation of such liberty also has costs. So I think there are kind of two different events, but at a cost. And I, I, it's interesting. I know you know this IP better, so I actually want you to run with this, but it makes me think of um, the Dark Knight Rises series. Yeah. And Christopher Nolan. Christopher, yeah. And the Harvey Dent character, right, which is Two-Face. It's really fascinating because there's very much this same sort of inclination with Darrow and Batman where Harvey Dent does so much good for society, mm-hmm. right? For Gotham. And yet if Two-Face, if that dark side of the same coin, and I didn't mean that as a pun originally. Boom. Wow. <laughs> it was halfway you out before I realized. You did the whole coin thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> but in the same way, there was this like 
other side to society's coin, and that's Darrow. And those, those, it's the same sort of like actions that like are represented by Two Face. And, and Batman has this realization that he must take the fall for said actions and take on the mantle of quote unquote the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> In order for Gotham, in order for the justice system and and all that the city now represents, right, in its reform, to stay in good light of the people. And I think that Darrow very much desires to do the same thing in this book. Shoulder all of that mm-hmm. and do not let society take the fall. Do not let the new republic, right, the solar republic. Yeah take on these evil actions or these behind-the-curtain actions, we'll say. Yeah. As a Batman aficionado, you did very well. well I applaud you. you. I'm going to golf clap on that. All right. Can, yeah. you hear, can you hear that, Mike? Oh, you can definitely hear that. Good. Okay, good. I actually really love that comparison. I love that Batman shouldering that, kind of that hurt, that pain, that out of necessity to, to take on that and kind of just be, to wear that burden for the greater good for Gotham for the thing that he loves. And I think Daryl really does love EO's dream at heart. I think he's starting to lose sight of it. He voices that actually in the prologue of this book, he's starting to feel like very distant from it, but at the same time, he's still chasing after it. He still wants it. He does. He's not sure if EO will recognize it because it's been so far. And so it's so distant. And then, you know, her, I think hers was coming with so much, you know, zealotry and here it's just become systems. Darrow's still pressing on. He's still fighting for that dream to be realized, to be recognized, to be fulfilled. It just, it's just so weird because it's just like, you want him to be what he was in Morningstar so bad, especially at the end of that book. Like, you know, we, we, we did a whole series based off of the epilogue of Morningstar. It's like, for me personally, one of the most beautiful two pages I've ever read in my entire life. I really love it. I found it foundational. I found it speaking to me on core levels and it just doesn't, he's not the same guy when you come back Mm. to this book and that's just a disappointment. But you do see kind of in what you said about Harvey and you kind of see him kind of shouldering that and you see him throughout the book. He's doing this. He's, he's kind of just a different person in a lot of ways. Like there's moments when he's like, when they're going to deep grave, he's kind of getting seasick and he's just feeling kind of like a, he's fragile in a way that he's never been fragile before. Like, uh, he's brooding and, and he's he's missing his wife so badly and he's missing his son so badly. He's, and he's, he's telling through Pierce, Pierce is telling us how bad he wants to be a father, how bad he wants to be a husband, how bad he wants to be done with the war. But I find it noble to be, to see him press forward through all this and keep going. And despite all the flaws and the hubris and and things that he admits, he admits how hubris he was by the end of this book. Um, the Iron Rain being the thing that he says that about, and which, which just happens it, in the prologue as well. And all the mistakes he's made along the way, he admits them, but he still presses forward and he shoulders that for Eo's dream. It's just that it looks so different now than it did in that Morning Star epilogue. Absolutely. But I think we get, for me, a much more real Darrow. It's very real. It's grounded in a kind of weird way. Yeah. And and a lot like a lot of these IPs are exploring, right? Like to me, we do a lot of Star Wars references because it's like this universal fandom. Mm -hmm. This is one of the draws of like Andor, right? Great show. 
it's doing very much the same thing. It's like exploring these same aspects, these same questions that Pierce is asking of the Star Wars universe. Mm -hmm. Let's actually now look behind the curtain. Let, let's explore the costs. What does it look like during the purchase of Liberty yeah. um, from the Empire? Y you see you know, a few good men that we've already talked about. And I, I think like Jessup and like Darrow, and like Luthen of, of Andor, right? Yeah. And we can go on and on, but you can take it too far. And I, I think that's the thing is mm. we, we talk about is a little bit of this kind of like natural human nature, a little bit of evil for a good cause isn't a necessity. And it, and it might be, but like I said, you can take it too far. And Darrow does. Wolfgar's murder was completely unnecessary. He could have injured him and peaced out, right? Or I mean, granted, I know there's a whole thing people are going to write us, you know, don't you don't, don't need to. Us. We, we get it. Like we know that it was kind of like a whole setup where Severo shot him with a stun gun and kind of pushed him into the razor. But the instigation of all that was on Daryl. So yeah, I get you what you're saying. And, and for me, even though that's heartbreaking, for me, even worse is what you already talked about, right? You talked about at the end of, his, of, of the book, at the end of his POV, where he gets to Venus he storms the fortress, right? Mm -hmm. And he finds the Ash Lord. And what he finds is a geriatric old man on his deathbed convalescing mm -hmm. and realizes that this is actually no longer his enemy. This guy is not pulling strings. Yeah, not He's doing not calling shots. He's laying there and dying. Yeah. And interestingly, he bites a cyanide capsule during this this yeah. dialogue and yeah the dialogue is some of the most rich dialogue that pierce has ever written goes back and forth between the ash lord and daryl in that moment the, the ash lord is just reading daryl's mail it's so it's it's he's owning him so hard yeah he's like we're the same person yeah congratulations exactly. yeah. yeah and he kills himself yeah or supposed to be Darryl, killing yeah, himself yeah. right but daryl's like no i'm not gonna have it you will pay for everything you've done and burns the dude alive before he can die of cyanide poisoning. Like, that's not cool. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing about going too far. You see, Darrow has always been a character that's registered just with emotion. Like, you, I, I find, I relate to Darrow in a lot of ways, and this is one of the reasons why he's one of my favorite characters in, in fiction history, for me personally, is because he's such an emotional character, and I'm a very emotional person, and I just feel like I'm on his wavelength in a lot of ways. But... I'm not really, that, I don't think, I'm, I'm also a lot more calm than him, but he's just like that, he has that rage, he has that spitefulness, he has that, he does go there, and he goes there a lot, and sometimes for the better, like think about that speech that he gives on Phobos and uh, Morningstar, just that mm -hmm. we are the tide, we are rising, just that that emotion, that adrenaline that you feel cross over the page and onto you, like I feel that, like I'm sure a lot of people feel that, or the speech that he gives on uh, what he calls the packs when he takes it over, it's like this is now your uh, ship like rise and take it you know let's let's do this let's go and that's when you first meet Ragnar like those things transcend the page they go on to me and in such a prolific way so he's a character that is really fueled and, and uh, by emotion and, and that's what he needs to be but he does take it too far he does he does go further than he needs to do a lot of times in this book but I think it's because he's just off like he's just so depressed he's so bummed out he's so he's hurting in so many ways his the world is changing around him so spectacularly. He's just realizing he's not the same person. His friends are changing. Severo has clearly changed. Uh, his wife has changed in a lot of ways. Like all the people that were so essential to him have changed too. And he's kind of stuck being the same out of necessity, being the same person that he has to be. 
Um, and it's just like for him, like he wants to evolve. He's telling you he wants to evolve, but he doesn't have that choice. Yeah. And Darrow, like in totality, is very much this nuanced character in this in this book. And these questions, again, going back to this, that, that Pierce is asking, I think one of them is like, why does Pierce use Darrow, who is now, and even in the, the last couple books, if you read through the lines, a very problematic character. Why does he use that to be a beacon of liberty? Mm-hmm. Why does he use that I would as say his protagonist? More than, more than the beacon, like the center point, you know, yeah. the centerpiece of liberty. Absolutely. And, and I think it's because Pierce entered Iron Gold with this idea of wanting to present an accurate depiction of the cost of liberty in his world as history has told it, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's like, Darrow can't be all good because nobody is. Yeah, It's ugly on the other side of revolution. The power vacuum struggle when you overthrow a massive evil regime is almost just as evil. And you hope that it settles out right. But this is the story of that of that settling dust on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that is one of the questions that Pierce is, is answering with Darrow as we see him in this book. The one, I think that kind of like the way that the internal language, like the book language, a version of this is the breaker or builder. Mm, yeah. So you have so many quotes in Morningstar and even actually numerous quotes in chapter 21 of this book, uh, Iron Gold when Darrow's POV and, and others and other places too. Darrow at the end of Morningstar saying, I can be a builder, you know, and, and EO and Fitchner saw that in me and I couldn't see that in me, but I can, I can be a builder. And then you see that, that breaker language coming in a lot yeah. uh, to flip on that. And he's like, I'm, he even says like, I guess I'm not a builder after all, I guess I am a breaker. And I think the question that's, that's interesting that Darrow doesn't even ask himself is that, is that a problem? Mm. Should he be a builder? Is there, is there an issue with that? Like, I think that given the choice, I think you and I and probably everyone listening would probably rather be a builder using that internal book language, kind of like rather kind of building is inspiring. It's beautiful. It's, it kind of is glorious in a lot of ways. And you get a lot of accolades and your people are like, dang, look at what that person did. Look what that person created and how they made the world a better place. They built something like a solar Republic that is flourishing and unique and amazing. And then on the flip side, Darrow's over here. He's just like, he's like, <laughs> he's hanging out with, you know, not hanging out. He's battling Ajax and Atlas on a, on a weekly basis. That doesn't sound awesome comparatively. Like I don't, I would rather be praised for being a builder than being that breaker that, but that, that breaking is so necessary in order for the building to happen. Um, you used that analogy of a wrecking ball earlier. Like everyone just kind of like, he can go and he can swing and he can crash the building down. And that gives an ability to, to build up where there was, you know, there a better building, a cleaner building, a nicer building, whatever adjective you want to throw in there. I think that's just the more important question that Darrow doesn't even get to ask himself or doesn't even bother to ask himself is like, is being a breaker a bad thing? Yeah. And, and you can come down on a different side of that. But for me, that question is, is already settled. He is a breaker. He's not a builder. Like you said, that wrecking ball is a totally separate tool. The sledgehammer is a very separate tool than like a carpenter's hammer nails 
right, saws to build, mm -hmm. these are wrecking tools. And yeah. Darrow, for now, the majority of his life, even though when we came in originally and he kind of wanted to build a new society, so to speak, he wanted that. But for now, the majority of his life, he has honed himself. He has perfected himself as a tool of destruction. Mm -hmm. And this is what brings us to that excellent question you asked is like, can he be, or even should he be? Because yeah. with that same kind of going back to the beginning of the episode, it's like, if everyone else in society is saying, I have my freedom, I'm now on the Senate, I have power, I have wealth, and I've had freedom purchased by this rebellion I was part of, pull up the drawbridge, you want to go to Venus, you want to go to Mercury, you want to continue to wage war against the outer, no, no, we're good, let's just sue for peace. Mm -hmm. Right. And let's just see if they can keep their boundaries. They can keep their slaves and we keep our freedom. And Darrow is just like, not, not, built, not, not built good enough. Yeah. Not built sorry. Mm -hmm. Not, not going to happen under my watch. When you put it in those terms, I find that just really ugly, to be honest with you. Like dancer's point of view or others like him because he, he carries that point of view pretty much exactly. It just sounds ugly. Because yeah. it's just like, what is the world then if you're just, I mean, his whole argument is like, are they really free? Are the people on these free worlds, Mars and, and Luna, are they really free? I can see that argument, but, but he's just like, I just, just thinking in that such that narrow scope where Daryl is actually thinking in that broad scope. I just feel like that is worth it. That's worth it. And so I guess like, you know, what we talked about, what we've been talking about going to the central kind of idea is that. Is Daryl being a breaker? Are the actions justified? Should we look at all the sins that Daryl commits throughout the course of this book and look and give them justification because he is doing something that one, no one else can do, being that breaker that's necessary to like, you know, be that sledgehammer or the whatever you want. And two, can he shoulder that for an entire people and do that? How are you supposed to keep your hands clean in that process? Like how? I really don't know. Can you do it? I don't think so. I think Pierce is, again, he's, he's pushing that on to us. He's just saying like this character that you love, that you, that you know about, like, yeah, he did the docs of Ganymede. Yeah. He did a couple other things that were kind of, you know, weird and kind of icky for you. But now if we're just going, I'm just fully diving into it. And I think that that's just, it's how it has to be. Yeah. Let's redraw that veil. Let's kind of sweep it under the rug. Like for me, I believe in checks and balances, right? Like there is too far. I'm not going to justify every single action of Darrow, but if you count him as a fallible character, if you understand that's going to be a reality and you understand that he's just like you and me, then he can still have a righteous cause. Mm -hmm. Well said. Okay. Well, you want to wrap this conversation up? Anything else to add before we go? I think I'm good. Where do you land? Do you feel like, do you feel like that this is a I think it's an unfortunate necessity okay. in, in a free society. Yeah. That's where I land. I think so too. Um, so I finally, I'm making it, I'm like, I'm on this podcast in real time. <laughs> I'm making that declaration that I agree with you that I have come full. Again, it's just like that thing. You come full circle. You first time you read the book, you're like, yeah, of course Daryl was right. Yeah. And then, then you go and then you're like, oh, that guy sucks. And then now I'm like, he's mostly right. I think he's, it's like, <laughs> but I think the two, th two things can be true at the same time. He is right. He is that centerpiece of liberty, but it does take those wicked things to get all the way there. And I think that, so I think it's just two truths trying to, there's a lot of friction in those two truths kind of working in tandem, but that's what it takes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's go ahead and take a quick break. 
and we'll come back. All right. I want to take a moment and tell you about our new sponsor, Neuro. Neuro makes great tasting gum and mints that don't just freshen your breath, but they give you a boost of energy or a relaxing calm. My favorite is the Honey Lemon Calm and Clarity. These have been super good as after dinner mints because they satisfy my sweet tooth, but they also have vitamin D3, GABA, and L-theanine, which help you de-stress and relax. All Neuro mints and gum are vegan, sugar-free, aspartame-free, and gluten-free. And right now, when you order from their website, getneuro.com, you can get 15% off your next order with our promo code, HAILREAPERPOD. So go get some today. You will not regret it. That's getneuro.com, G-E-T-N-E-U-R-O, and use our promo code at checkout for 15% off HAILREAPERPOD. Jeremy, we are back from break. We're going to be doing something very special. We're revisiting a segment that everyone knows and loves. <laughs> it is is the highlight, it is the crown jewel of Hail Reaper, it is Nerd Talk Up Top. All right. But it's not Nerd Talk Up Top, it's Nerd Talk Down Low, because <laughs> oh, we're going to the end of the episode. <laughs> this is Nerd Talk PM. This is Nerd Talk Midnight Edition. This is the... Uh, this is nighttime nerd talk. Nighttime nerd talk. Oh, that works. Yeah. So, um, because it's at the end of the episodes, it's like I don't know. Makes sense, I guess. <laughs> anyway, uh, so what's been nerdy for you lately? Oh, I have been very nerdy lately. One of the nerdy things I am doing, uh, I am AKA Checkmate, by the way, my howler name. Wow, nice. And I have been studying quite a bit of chess. I've been studying yeah, openings. Have. Right, the Italian opening. I've been studying some defenses, including the Sicilian, the Russian game, the Dutch defense. A lot of interesting chess theory out there, and I'm trying to dive head in. But I think for more of the general audience, um, the nerdiness that I've been delving into is I finally got you to watch Andor, a marvelous, marvelous series. And you're ahead of me. I know this because we chat about this, but yeah. You didn't know this, but I am actually rewatching the series for a second time. Ayo. I just haven't been able to catch you, but it is just as enjoyable the second time. Uh, it's amazing. This is one of the the best Star Wars franchise, like just pieces of IP I've ever seen. Like I weirdly love, and I know people are going to want to turn the podcast off on this. And I've met a, a few fellow Last Jedi lovers. I am one of them, one of the very few. A lot of people think this is just a, a crime that I like. I'm, I'm it, sorry. It I'm is sorry. a crime, by the way. But. And I, I grew up on the original trilogy. It's like, it means a ton to me. Like, I love the first three movies so much. And, I, and like, you you gave me, like, a funny, like, you just threw a random character out um, the other day from, like, from A New Hope. And I just quote, I just gave you the quote they actually said. Oh, the movie. Mon Mothma. Yeah, you were like, you were like, I know, but I was, yeah, yeah, Mon Mothma. And then I was just like, I just quoted the, like, the <laughs> most iconic line. Yeah. And you're and I just, it's just, like, embedded in my brain. But I, I do love parts of some of the newer stuff. I do not, like episodes one through three very much and i i've seen you know i've seen all of it i've seen all the star wars stuff i think this is probably the best stuff i've seen like yeah. I, I really do like it, it really better, is. better than mandalorian and better than any of the films um which is so weird to say because just like a disney plus tv show but it's just like it, it actually has so many echoes of iron gold the stuff mm -hmm. we just talked about like it, it, it informed i think our conversation maybe even subconsciously that we had today about daryl because it it deals with that gray area so heavily. It's not as accessible because it has nuance, because it has evil themes, and mm -hmm. it has Luthen having these dark thoughts and, and uh, contemplations within him. And Cassian's not a necessarily a good dude either. Yeah. Um, I mean, he comes full circle in it, but still. Uh, but, I mean, Daedra. 
Isn't she like the best character? <laughs> uh, no, I wouldn't say she's the best character. I would just say she's a very interesting character. I think I think yeah. the one thing I think about that show is that all the characters are super interesting. So I know we're hyping this show up a lot. If you haven't seen Andor and Disney Plus, I this is seriously worth the the money for a month long subscription from Disney Plus. If you've if you've ever like checked out. Disney Plus, you're like, ah, blah, blah. It's got to be free, right? Some free trial. You can probably knock it out. Probably. But even if, even then, I would, if I knew the show is this quality. That's what I'm saying. When I was badgering you, yeah. did you have any clue you were about to watch what no, you actually watched? No. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was talked up by a lot of people, but I was like, okay, how good can it be? And I was like, and then I was like, wow, this is stupid. <laughs> it's just <laughs> like quality. Everything. Like, and it's mostly just like the dialogue, the way it was written, the way it was shot. The even the, the cast choices, like everything. Yeah, it's is, Tony, what's his face? He does the Bourne series. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. He wrote the original adaptation screenplays, and then he wrote and directed Born, whatever it is, the fourth uh, film. Oh, I don't, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. I just saw the Tony, first three. Tony Bo- Gilpin, I think, or something like that is yeah. his name. Sure. Okay, cool. What else? What else is nerdy? I'm probably wrong, but that's okay. <laughs> um, I named my nerdy thing. What are you doing? Um, Playing Turtles or anything? <laughs> yeah, I love Ninja Turtles. Uh, <laughs> no, honestly, I, d- I don't really have much that's nerdy lately, but I do have a nerd challenge for you right now. Okay. You mentioned, you said the word Sicilian earlier. I, yes. Yes, because oh, you're in reference to chess. Yeah. Okay. But when you say Sicilian, it makes me think of Princess Bride. Dang it! You ruined the whole game. No! You. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. Never go against a Sicilian when death is on the line. And I was gonna say name the name the movie that quotes from. And you, you just got it without even. Oh. <laughs> All you had to do is say the word Sicilian, and it, it just yeah, yeah. You just ruined the whole game. Those are the two things that I. Well, three things. I think of chess, pizza, The Godfather. <laughs> okay. And Princess Bride. And pizza. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Well, that was that was Nerd Talk PM or, ner- hey, or, or I ruined whatever. the game. Yeah, ruined the game. So that's it. Um, we're out of here. Until next time, hail Reaper. Hail Reaper, everyone. The Hail Reaper team is Jeremy, Mathar, Janelle, and myself, Philip. All artwork was done by friend of the podcast Jeff Halsey. Our theme music, The Gordian Knot, was composed by Jacob Albaum, with production and sound design by Tim Mount. A huge thank you to Pierce Brown for creating the Red Rising saga and fostering our passion for books. And thanks to all you listening, especially our patrons. If you want to learn how to become a Hail Reaper Howler and get additional content, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at Hail Reaper Pod, and leave a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps others like you discover the show and is much appreciated. Until next time, Hail Reaper. <laughs>